parables. Um, I'm really excited about this, this series. Uh, I was telling some, talking to someone the other day. I'm now officially excited about it. Typically, uh, when, whenever I have to pick a new series, um, I have to decide on the series, you know, because you can't do all of your studying and then decide, right? Because there's like a bunch of things you have to decide from. So you, you, you kind of narrow it down and you say, okay, I think this is the direction I'm going to go. And so, you, so I, with trepidation, you start and then, I, and then I start studying. And then about halfway through the first week, usually that's when I'm like, oh, yes, this is going to be awesome. So excited. So now I can honestly say I am excited about this series. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at the parables of Jesus. Uh, I, I, could, I could not come up with a, a fancy, uh, intelligent graphic. So this is the, the graphic uh, that I came up with. Um, how many get the joke? It's a pair of bulls. Oh, but this is going to be a, a, a good, so we're going to jump right in enough with the, with the uh, cheesy dad jokes. Um, start with a question for you. What is your favorite uh, thing of all time that you have watched? So this could be a movie, a YouTube clip, a show you went to. A, a class lecture, a documentary, um, a music video. What's, what's the, your, if you had to pick one, what is your favorite thing? Just put that in your head uh, for, for a second. I know, uh, you know, it's hard to narrow it down. It's okay. Just pick one of the first ones that came to your mind. Um, now, I want, would you do me a favor? Raise your hand if the thing you're thinking of is a speech. Or a lecture that someone gave. So I see one. <laughs> All right. What about a documentary? Okay. What if it was a? Raise your hand if it was a movie. All right. Uh, a show, a musical, music video. Yeah. So we had. The theme in this is, those are all stories. We are drawn to stories. Um, and this is why parables are, are so important. In fact, uh, in, in Mark 4, 33, we, we read, Jesus, Jesus, it says, Jesus used many similar stories and il illustrations to teach people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So Jesus, the greatest teacher of, of all time, the, the person that we, we are dedicating our lives to follow after and model ourselves after, never taught without parables. I would say that's a pretty high recommendation, that there's probably something pretty important inside of them that we need to spend some time on. What are parables? Parables are, are, are quite simply, they're just, they're made up stories to to help us understand real truth. That's all a parable is. It's a short story that, that the event, you know, it's like, uh, what does it say at the beginning of like Law and Order? You know, the names have been changed, uh, or what was that? The cops have even been changed to protect the innocent. These are made-up stories. They didn't really happen, but they could have. Most of them, uh, parables are based, they're kind of like historical fiction. 
right? They're based in a real world, but they're not necessarily um, actual events. Parables have an interesting history, and before we're gonna we're gonna look at one parable today. But first, I want to kind of get us all on on the, the kind of lay some groundwork about parables. We're gonna look at what the, we just talked about what they are. We're gonna look at kind of the history of parables throughout church history, real quickly, and um, then we're gonna kind of quickly look at why they're important and some ground rules for for understanding parables because every. Every type of scripture, every type of, you know, the, the Bible is, is one, uh, it's a collection of literature. And, and, you know, there's different types of literature, and the way you uh, interpret, the way you read them is different. And so parables have kind of their own set of rules. So we're going to look at those before we jump into our, our first parable uh, for today. So we got a lot of ground to cover, um, but with the Lord's help and my watch here, we can get there. <laughs> All right, parables, they have an interesting history in, in preaching and teaching ministry in the church. Uh, Jesus, we saw, used them exclusive, like almost exclusively. He always included them in his teaching. And the early church used parables as well. To them, the, 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 the first, second, third century, parables were king. It was where they, they, they went to first to understand their, their theology and to understand who Jesus is and the kingdom of God and how it worked. And this was great. Um, but later, just before, uh, just before the Reformation, around that time, um, a style of preaching developed called allegorical preaching, which basically was the, the preacher, the, uh, the, the, the teacher, would take Bible stories, Bible verses, and, and the philosophy was, I'm going to take every character in this story, I'm going to and apply, a lot of times, a contemporary symbolism to that, every character in that story. And while it made for, for entertaining preaching at times, it also led to some very bad theology. Because you can't do that with, with Scripture. Um, as a rule, Scripture shouldn't mean to you something it couldn't have ever meant to the person that it was originally written to. I'll say that again. Scripture shouldn't mean to you something that it couldn't have meant to the original attended, intended audience. How many know the Bible was written for you, but it wasn't written to you? It was written to other people in other times and other places. And it certainly will guide our lives and we will speak to us and transform us. But we have to understand that there is a distinction there. Or we can get ourselves into trouble. It's, and so in this early form of, of preaching, um, there was a lot of bad theology that came out of it because they were, a, they were misunderstanding what the scripture was supposed to, what it was trying to say. Um, and when it comes to the Word of God, uh, you know, we, we often ask this question, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me? And I'm not saying that that's a wrong question to ask. There's certainly time and a place for it. But it's not the best question to ask. The better question is, what does this mean for me? And there's, it may seem like a semantic difference, but it's significant. When we ask, what does this mean to me? We are putting ourselves as the one who gives the scripture meaning. I read this thing. 
And okay, what does this mean to me? That puts me in the driver's seat. I get to read this, and now I am going to extrapolate and pull out of it the significance that I find in it. When we ask the question, what does it mean for me, we acknowledge that there is meaning already resident inside the Scripture that I am coming to look for and apply. The, the meaning, the significance, the truth is already there, and now I am going to submit myself, I'm going to search it out and submit myself to that meaning. This is the proper approach to Scripture. The truth is already there. We don't get to, we don't get to make it up as we go. And as a res- so this is what was going on. As a response to this allegorical move, um, the church... Then later, Reformation and moving forward into evangelicalism more, more recently, um, we did, the church does what all humans do all the time when there's an issue. Uh, we overreact, right? <laughs> so this is a problem, and we realize it, and we're like, ah! And so we run as far as we can in the other direction, and we just pass right by the, you know, the balanced, middle, wise place to be. And the reaction um, for this within the, uh, the, the majority of preaching circles was, was to overcorrect the other way and say, okay, that's it. Everything in the Bible just means one thing. There's just one, there's a right meaning for everything. And so we're going to just spend our time and we're going to figure out what those meanings are. And that's been kind of the, uh, a, a, the popular modern approach, especially when it comes to parables. That there is, there, here's a parable, we're going to dissect it, we're going to chop it up, and we're going to figure out what the one thing is that this thing is trying to tell us. And once we figure it out, that's the end of the story. And everything else, we're just going to, because that's, that's risky. It's, 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 we agree on this, and that's all we're going to do. The problem with that is that's not... Again, we've gone too far the other way. That's, that's not how, that wasn't the intent of parables. And so, um, in this series, we're going to, hopefully, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to find a balance, right? These things aren't, parables can't mean just anything, but they can mean more than one thing. And we're, by, by, by the, the grace of God, we're going we're gonna to see some of those things as we, we go along in the weeks to come. Um, <clears throat> so that's a little bit of the his- history of, of how we've treated parables over the years. Um, but why parables? What, what's, the, what's the significance of them? Why did, we, we said that Jesus, won, Jesus relied on them heavenly, so that's a, that's a good Indication that's good evidence, that's a good reason that we should be studying them. But why else? Um, and there's, there's a number, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you five um, quickly. The first is that parables are easy to remember, they're stories. They're, they're, they were easy for the listener to grab hold of and remember later on. Now, for us, there's a layer of, another layer of difficulty that the original audience didn't have because we aren't first century Israelites, right? So there, is, um, there are some significance in the stories and the things that Jesus said that really brought the story home to his original audience at us, for us, is a bit lost at times. And so we have to dig a little bit and use, a, use some imagination um, to kind of reclaim some of those things. 
But that's, that's one of the reasons why parables are, are so important, is that they're easy to remember. And as we dig those things out, they become easy for us to remember as well. And so we'll, we'll look to do some of that as we go along. Also, you'll notice as we, we look at parables, they were, Jesus was a master at reclaiming the mundane, the ordinary. These stories are, you know, G- Jesus wasn't a, a sci-fi author. You know, like Star Wars, Star Trek, where it happens, you know, long, you know far in a galaxy far, far away. It, all of his stories were wrapped up in the, the everyday of, of the people he was talking to. And I think one of the, one of the reasons he does that is it provided, um, built into life, a trigger for these teachings. So you go to, you would spend time with Jesus and he would teach you about, about a tree or about farming. And then you would go back for some of them the next day and farm. Right, And so there's this built-in synergy, this built-in um, design where you can't help, but th- those, those stories can't help but be triggered and come back up in, in your life. So they're significant because in them is the potential for meditation. It's, a, it's a, another, that was number, number two, I guess. Number three, uh, they were a strategic way to teach without giving his enemies ammunition. Much of the, many of the parables come later in Jesus' ministry. And at this point, you know, we know that, that the Pharisees and, and there were groups that were trying to get Jesus in trouble. They were already looking for a way to kill him. And because of the religious climate at the time, the, the primary thing they were looking for was really some gotcha quotes, right? They, they were looking for some things that they could take before either the Roman court or, or the religious court and say, he said this, so let's get rid of him. Now, they had no care about context, so all they needed, I mean, you, you see this all the time, right? You know, a headline reads this horrible, ghastly thing, and then you come to find out later that it was completely pulled out of context and had nothing to do with, you know, what the person was trying to say. We see that all the time today in politics and, and uh, just, you know, in, in life in general. And so, by, but by using parables... By teaching in story, Jesus brilliantly is able to, to say what he wants to say without, without giving the, the, his enemies any sort of uh, ammunition or, or the, the, the quotes, the pull quotes that they're looking for to take him before the courts. Now, he does this not because he's afraid of the courts. It's just because it's not on his calendar yet. Eventually, obviously, he gets there, but... I mean, no, Jesus is in, was in complete control of everything the moment, from the time he stepped foot on this earth. And he had a plan, and he had an agenda, and he had things he wanted to accomplish before he let them do all of those horrible things that they did to him. And parables were one of the ways that he dictated when that was going to happen. So it was a strategic way to teach. Number four, the parables reward 
only those seeking and open to the truth within. It's one of the fascinating things that differentiates parables from most other forms of teaching. That there is a hiddenness about them. It's teaching and you're teaching truth, but yet it's concealed truth to those but it's concealed to a specific group of people. In, in Matthew 13, um, Jesus, well, the disciples were curious about the, you know, why he taught in these parables. And so they asked him, and, and he gives the answer. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 10, the disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those listening, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of, of, of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I, what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. And here's kind of the key verse in here, verse 15. He says, For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and their eyes have been closed. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. They can't turn to me and let me heal them. People can't hear the truth because they have closed themselves off to it. The Pharisees, the people that heard these, there were people that heard Jesus' parables, heard heard Jesus' teaching and walked away going, that guy is Looney Tunes. What is he talking about? And there's other people that walked away going, this guy has it. This guy is the, the son of God. I, I, I will spend my life following this man. The difference wasn't in their, under, their intellectual ability to understand his arguments. The difference was in whether they were willing to be open to what it was he was saying. See, so much of the time we, we are... Western, you know, Western society, we are so uh, enamored with, with reason. We love so much reason and logic, and to us that is, that is just the foundation of absolutely everything, and we, are, we pride ourselves on our ability to reason. But here's the reality. We mostly believe what we want to believe. You can talk yourself into just about anything, right? I'm... I'm sure if your life is anything like mine, you can look back on your life and, and have a whole slew of things that you look at and go, man, how did, I, how, did I de- how did I get there? How did I decide to do that thing? That was a bad idea. Well, at some point, I, talked, I decided I talked myself into it. I reasoned my way there. See, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom, and one of the upside-down principles in it is that we have to submit to God's truth before we understand it. We have to be open to it before we can fully receive it. And so parables reward those that are open to it, those that are seeking truth. But if you're not, they will never make sense. And we see this in our, our, our everyday life. 
Ever notice how someone you, you think is dumb never says anything smart? Is that just me? Maybe that's just me. <laughs> or your, or, or your, your political uh, opponent never has a good idea, like the other side, whatever team you're on, the other team. Everything they say is wrong. Everything they do is wrong. Why is that? Is it because literally everything they say and do is wrong? No. It's because from your perspective, you're closed to the idea that they could have a good idea. There's a, you have a presupposition. You're prejudging them. And so everything, your, your bra- see, our brains are amazing at making connections, even when there are no connections there. And so when we have an idea, when we have it in our hearts or our minds that this thing is a certain way, we will always search to justify our own beliefs about that thing. The same is true with the Word of God. The same is true with Jesus' teaching. If we are are predisposed to just saying, Jesus, whatever you say is true, I will believe it, help me understand it, more truth will be given. But if we are constantly in a position where we are um, expecting God or kind of being the, the critic or the, the, the judge and, and, and expecting God to try and you know, convince us of our reason to, to, to overcome us and, and so that we can evaluate whether it, it's right or not, whether what he says is trustworthy or not, over and over and over again, we'll, ne- we'll miss it. That's not to say that we, 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 we do this as Christians. There are, you know, there, are, there are layers, there are depths of God's truth. You can, you can be a Christian in, and, and be heading to heaven and have a relationship with God. And there's still areas of your life that you are of truth and of reality and of, his, of experience with God that you are not open to. And until you open yourself up to them, you will not see the truth of them. I got to keep moving. All right, that was number four. Number five, stories help reveal our hearts better than raw information. Stories are great at getting past that reason that we love so much and helping show ourselves to ourselves. Best example in Scripture is actually in the Old Testament. You remember when, you know, uh, David messed up with Bathsheba and, uh, you know, had her had her husband killed and all that. And, and so the, the prophet, God sends the prophet Nathan to, to David to confront him. How, he doesn't, how does he confront him? He doesn't confront him, just come right out and say, you know, because this is the king and he can kill you if he doesn't like what he says. He uses a story. He uses an analogy of these two other, you know, these, these two men and their sheep and, you know, the, the rich guy takes the, the poor guy's sheep and it, and it stirs, David sees the injustice of the situation and he's stirred to anger and then Nathan replies, you know, that famous line, you are that man and David, David's heart is broken because the story allowed him to see his actions for what they really were objectively. Stories help reveal our hearts. And so parables are a great way that the, the Holy Spirit can, can get around your, your brain <laughs> and get to your heart so that he can renew your mind. Number six, they teach us about God's heart. They teach Parables at the end of the day are more about God than they are about you. Now, there are applications, certainly, that we will draw from them, that we can learn. There's a lot we can, we can do about kingdom ethics um, in, in parables. But 
at the end of the day, parables are about teaching us about, it's Jesus helping everybody to understand who he is. So that's why we're going to spend a, a number of weeks looking at parables. There's a lot there. A couple of ground rules before we get into our, our parable for the day. A couple of quick ground rules um, when we're looking at parables. Uh, first one, number one, for the kingdom of heaven is like. You've heard this phrase. It's very common. It's your number one clue that a parable is about to happen. They don't all have it, but many of them do. Um, this phrase and parables in general, it's important to remember that parables, the entire story is what the kingdom of heaven is like, not necessarily just the first noun you see. So if you're looking at, say, the, you know, the, prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son, the kingdom of heaven is like a son who once goes to his father, da, da, da. The par- it's not saying that the kingdom of God is like the son, He's saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like this story. That's an an important little distinction that the story as a whole is trying to teach us something, not just one character in the story. Number two, parables show us, we mentioned this already, but parables show us who God is first and how we should act second. The primary focus of parables is the nature of God and then out of that, we can, we can extrapolate, we can learn who, who we are and how we should act on, on, you know, out of that. But the, the primary focus when we're looking at parables is we should walk away learning something, knowing something, seeing a glimpse of, of God's heart and who Jesus is. That's the purpose of them. Uh, number three, they can't mean, we, and we talked about this as well, uh, they can't just mean anything you want, right? You can't just assign any meaning to any, um, any parable, like, like, uh, like some people have done <laughs> in the past. Um, but they can have more than one meaning. This is, these are stories, the ones we're looking at, these are stories by Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time. And there, as we'll look at in some coming weeks, we'll, we'll briefly a bit go into just to give you a taste of, there is structure to these. There's a, com- a complexity to these stories that is amazing. There's um, almost like a poetic structure to most of them that, that on, on, you know, reading it in English, we just completely miss. Um, but we'll, we'll look at that. And so, of course, there is, there is going to be more than one truth in these stories. That is, how would the, the greatest teacher of all time only be able to, to communicate one truth in an entire story? So they can't mean just anything you want, but they will have multiple meanings. Number four, uh, they require some imagination. These are, are, are stories that um, many of them, like the one we're going to look at today, they don't even have an ending, right? So these are, not just, these are not just moral fables that are designed to get you to one point. A big part of why Jesus used these parables was to stoke the imagination, to, to, to have the listener put themselves into the story and ask questions 
and, and, look at, and, and look at things from a different perspective. And so it, it's, I, we, I'll encourage you in this series to try that as we're reading these parables, as we're looking at them. Use your imagination. Try and put yourself in the story. Try and, try and act and think like the characters and, and see what you notice. Because, uh, and that, that's important because number five is probably one of the biggest, uh, biggest keys or ground rules for, for parables. And that is look for left turns. One of the, the, the primary ways that Jesus delivers truth in parables is when a character or a scenario or a scene is different or something changes in an unexpected way. And so when, when you see those, those changes, when you see that left turn from what, what behavior, normal behavior would be, that's usually a sign going, God's trying, hey, look right here. God's, God's trying to tell us something. And we'll see that uh, in, in our story for today um, in just a minute. And then the, 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 the sixth one is uh, not quite as important, but it, it, it gives us a good, a good um, it can be helpful. Ignore the titles. Ignore the titles. How many know that the both the the subheadings, like all the little titles of all the passages in your Bible, and even all the verse and chapter number, how many know those are not sanctified? Right? Those are just those are just added in. That's not like there's the Bible and then there's these things that are there to help us find what we're looking for. Those are aids. But sometimes those aids uh, can they can unintentionally shape uh, our perspective of what we're about to read because the title we assume we just it's just human nature right you read a headline you read a title of something you assume that's what this thing's about but a lot of times in scripture the title is not actually the main point it's maybe the most memorable point from from somebody's perspective. And it, over time, that it, you call something something long enough, and everybody knows it by that, then it's just it'd be too confusing to change the name, right? Um, but the titles aren't always really accurate, so ignore the titles. And, and we see that we see that in our an example of that in today's uh, in t- in today's parable that we're going to look at the, t- the the working title the. The named title of this parable is the parable of the vine workers. Um, some of you, may, many of you, I'm sure, have, have read this account before. But as you'll see when we go in it, uh, as as we go through this, this parable is not really about the vine workers. It's about the landowner. And so, right off the bat, we have to ignore the title. Otherwise, we're going to get. We're going to get a little off focus from, from where we're supposed to be spending our attention. Um, and so uh, for, the rest, for the remaining few moments here, I, I want us to just take a look at this, this story. Um, but first, let's just ask the, the Lord to, to join us as we dig into his word a little bit this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity to, to come together. God, I ask. Uh, that you would speak to us through your word. God, I thank you for your creativity. I thank you um, for these stories, these words that you've given us to reveal your heart. Would you speak through your word to us this morning? 
God, would you open our ears, open our hearts. God, shut off any distraction or, or thing that would hinder us from, from hearing from you this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the story is found in Matthew chapter 20. Um, and I'll uh, just, I'm going to read a couple verses, make a couple comments, and then we'll kind of run through the rest of the story. Um, starting in verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. So here's where we get our title, right? Um, or here we go with the, the kingdom of heaven is like, remember, this is the whole story is the kingdom of heaven, not just the landowner. Um, and he goes out, he, he finds some, some, this was a common practice, okay? And this still happens in some, some parts of even the United States where there are certain areas where people who are um, unemployed, don't have a steady work, hang out. Because they know that that's where uh, a lot of the, the trades people or the, the construction people or farming people, uh, when they need extra, extra help, they go to those places and look for day laborers. You've probably heard that term. Um, and this was a very common practice in, 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 uh, in Jesus' time. Everyone there would have been familiar. And probably, when Jesus, as Jesus is telling this story, I'm sure most of the people there could probably like picture the corner that he's talking about or the area of the market that, that he's talking about. Um, there was no doubt in, this, in the audience many who this was their livelihood, that they were these day laborers themselves, and they would have especially identified with the emotions of this story. And that, I'm sure that, that, was not, that was not a coincidence. Uh, the third comment I'll make just on, on these verses is that day laborers being offered a, offered a full day's wage was a, was a good thing. Um, it tells us something about this landowner right off the bat. See, uh, the labor, the amount of, of workers, as the story will kind of indicate, there were way more workers than there was work. And so uh, a, a landowner going out to the day laborers could have drove, driven a hard bargain, you know, supply and demand, could have, could have gone and haggled, right, and said, oh, well, you know, I'll give you whatever, I'll give you half a drachma or whatever it is. But this landowner doesn't do that. He promises them a full day's wage. So we, we, we see off the bat that this is a, a good landowner, and that, that idea, we, we start with it, but that idea is going to continue to expand throughout the story. Because that's kind of, we'll, we'll get there, but that's, that's a hint to, to what the real heart of this, this, this parable is trying to tell us. So well, let's continue the story. In verse 3, um, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through, he, the landowner, was passing through the market and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So here he's hiring another, another crew of workers to go work in his vineyard. And uh, these ones, he doesn't promise them a full day's wage. He just promises them whatever is right. So they went to work at the vineyard. And at, and at noon, again, and at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. 
And then at 5 o'clock that afternoon, this is 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's like, this is clearly not a government-run um, farm because 5 o'clock, right? They'd have been shut down. <laughs> but at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he, still hired, he saw some people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman, that's a little important detail, there is a foreman that now just kind of enters the story kind of out of nowhere. Um, he told the foreman to call the workers and, in and pay them. And then, he, he, here's, here's our, so the foreman's our first left turn. And we'll, we'll get into why that's a left turn in a minute. But we have, we have a foreman that just jumps into the story in the, middle, in the middle of this parable. And then he says to call the workers in to pay them, beginning with the last workers first. Here's another left turn. That's not typically the way you would, you would pay them out. You would pay them out. The first ones that got there typically be the first ones you pay out. Um, and so the landowner inverts the order and so we, we, we have to ask the question, um, or the list, original listeners, I'm sure, would have asked the question, why? We'll continue the story, and then we'll kind of circle back to this. So when, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Then those hired first came to get their pay, and they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a full day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only an hour. Yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he said to one of them, friend, I, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my own money? Should you be jealous because I am so kind to others? So those who are last now, now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. Interesting story. And there's, there's, I, I think there's three big takeaways that we, we find in this story. And we see them in the left turns that we talked about. The first left turn was, uh, I said in verse 8, says, so we have this story, right? We got all these, these, this landowner that goes, hires day laborers, and he keeps going back to this marketplace every couple of hours all day long. He's going from his house, he's walking, you know, in the scorching heat, as we're told, it's a hot day, um, and constantly going back and recruiting more workers and more workers. But then we find out after all this walking and searching and pulling in that this landowner, it was a big enough operation that he had a foreman. And here's the left turn. That, was the, that should have been the foreman's job. It should have been the, or some translations say steward. It should have been his job to go find the workers. That's the, that would have been the expected part of this story. If, if, if this was written by somebody else, you know, just uh, in, in, real, in real life, the steward would have gone out and found the workers and brought them in. But in, in this case, Jesus chose to have the landowner go and, 
and find the people over and over and over again. What's the, what's the takeaway? What's, what's Jesus trying to tell us about himself? It's simply this, that he is intensely active in our lives. The landowner went, not the steward. Jesus is personally invested in seeking us. God sees you. God pursues us. He doesn't send somebody else to do it. I mean, think about that. This is Jesus is standing there teaching these people, telling them the story about himself. Because he was pursuing them. Because he wanted, he wanted them to know him. He's teaching, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't look up the timeline, but we are, we are it's Matthew 20 and there's 28 chapters. We're only eight chapters or six chapters from his, his, his death, right? This is, we're, getting close, we're getting close to the end and Jesus, Jesus knows it. So this, this landowner represents Jesus, that he is, he is intensely active in seeking us out. He sees every one of us. He sees you this morning. He pursues us. The landowner didn't need more workers. That's not, we, we, we learned that at the end, that this was motivated by, by compassion for the people because this is, this is first century Israel. There's no unemployment insurance. You don't work, your family don't eat. That's just the way it was. And so this landowner is motivated by compassion. That's why I said, that's why I said ignore the title, because the point of this story is not the vine workers. The point of the story is the compassionate landowner. Jesus has compassion for us. And we see that in, the, in this first left turn with the, this foreman that he doesn't send and he sends himself. Next takeaway we, we, we see in this is, um, is in the payout that God's, God has a generous heart. He pays the person who worked only an hour a full day's wage. He went and got more workers than he needed, and he overpaid them. He gave, this, this, and why did he do that? It's because this is how God operates. He gave out of what he had, not what they had earned. This is the way Jesus works with us. This is the way God interacts with humanity. He gives out of what he has, not out of what we earned. That's a foundational truth that we all need to wrap our heads around. Otherwise, we will spend our lives trying to earn something we can't while God is trying to offer you something that he already has paid for, that he has for you. It's interesting. This story is actually... Um, Many of the parables are actually, they're considered rabbinic stories, which means Jesus didn't invent the whole story. They were common. This story was a, was a, 
a common story. But what Jesus does is he actually, the, he, he takes a story where they think they know the answer and he shifts it. Because in the original story that, that, that the Pharisees of the time would tell in their version of the story, the point was the exact opposite. They would tell a version of this story, but the point of it was to say that basically Israel had earned their freedom from, from, from Rome in God's eyes by the way they act. And that God was going to deliver them based on that. That was the point of the, the Pharisees' version of the story. And here Jesus flips it on its head and tells kind of the same story and then makes this sharp left to highlight to the people that, no, that's not the way this works. The kingdom of heaven, because remember, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. He said the kingdom of heaven is different. It, you get what is based out of what I have, what, what is available, not based on what you can earn. Why? Because God is generous. Because that's who he is. And then the third takeaway is simply this. And we see this at the, at the, end, um, at the end of it in the kind of the discourse with the, the, the vine workers' reaction to to the latecomers getting the, the same money, right? And, and we see they, they get angry. And they say, uh, you know, you owe, basically, you owe me more. That's not fair. And, and the landowner tries to help them understand, but they're upset because our bent toward jealousy, we just love to compare things. And here what Jesus, I think, is trying to help us see is that our bent towards jealousy will rob us of our joy and warp our perspective of God. Instead of being amazed at these landowners, or at this landowner's compassion and generosity, their selfishness caused them to see him as unfair. And it hindered their ability to, to enjoy his generosity. We don't, it doesn't, the story ends, and we don't know how, how this, you know, Jesus doesn't finish the story. But what do you think if, the, if Jesus, or, or Jesus, if the landowner doesn't change their mind in this moment while they're having this conversation, what do you think that means for these workers moving forward? It means they leave convinced that this landowner is, is not just. And they're not going to work for him anymore. They're not going to go back. And they're going to miss the opportunity to work for a compassionate, generous landowner because of their perspective was warped by jealousy. And this can happen to us. We see God moving in somebody else's life. We see somebody else get a, you know, be blessed in some area. And it Instead of us being able to appreciate God's generosity to them, we compare ourselves to them and we decide that God's not being fair. And it puts a, 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 a his generosity to that person is now, becoming a, is now becoming a hindrance in my relationship with God. And this is just, this is part of our sinful nature. This is part of what we do. There were, I was listening to a, a podcast a number of weeks ago on um, 
uh, by a guy named uh, author Malcolm Gladwell. You may have, may have heard, heard him or read some of his stuff. And the, the whole podcast was about, um, it was about happiness. And one of the, the, the studies that they talked about in there was they researched um, uh, gold me- or medalists, Olympic medalists. And they were talking about how um, there's this phenomenon that the happiness of, of the finalists, of the medalists, isn't what, isn't what you think. You would think, you know, gold is the happiest, silver is the next happiest, and bronze is the, the least happiest, right? But in all their studies, uh, the research, time and time again, it's actually, it's not true. The gold is the happiest, obviously, because they won. But the next most happy person that wins a medal is almost always the bronze medalist. Because we compare ourselves. And what happens is the silver medalist compares themselves to the gold medalist. But the bronze medalist compares themselves to the guy that didn't make the podium. And it was so funny. I was watching the men's triathlon uh, finale uh, last week. And it was amazing. It was the perfect illustration. I almost tried to find the clip of, of, the, of this reality because the gold medal guy, the first guy across, he's just, yeah, you know, and he's crying. And then like two seconds later, the next guy comes across and he's shaking his head. He's just, oh. and you can see he's discouraged and he's frustrated. And then like five seconds later, the bronze medalist comes across and he's as happy as the first guy. He's just like, yeah, I got a bronze. Our bent towards jealousy will rob us of our relationship with God and with others. The question the story poses to you and me this morning is how, how do we see God? Jesus doesn't put an end on the story because he wants us to ask the question to ourselves. In the version of this story that is your life, how do you respond in those moments? In those moments where you see somebody, God move in somebody else's life. Or when you need something from God and you go to ask him, is, is, is the God you're going to a generous God that is looking for the opportunity to, to bless you and to get involved? Or is he some far off is he some far-off deity or some, some, some taskmaster that, that you have to try and earn what it is you need from him? Jesus wants to meet us. He wants us to know him as that generous God. He, he wants to free us from that, that, that curse of comparison. And to learn to truly rejoice with those who rejoice. And and draw strength and encouragement from God's movement in somebody else's life. Just like in the story, the owner was even so kind to the ungrateful workers that he reaches out and tries to help them see who he really is. Not only does he he give them this great wage, because they're missing the point. And sometimes this is a, a... 
a good illustration for those of us that, that, that grew up in, in, in the, the church sometimes, and we can get this, we can get this attitude a little bit where, where, you know, we see we're kind of slow and steady, and then you have somebody else that comes in, and like, you know, they were just a crumb bum their whole life, and then like God gets a hold of them, and like three weeks later, they're like, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're, 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 their job shifted, and they won the lottery, and they got a new car, and they got married, and you know. <laughs> It all happened in like a month and a half. And we look at them and we go, man, that is just, that's not fair. I've been doing this, you know, kind of like the other brother in the prodigal son. I've been doing this for all this time and they get that. And what the problem is, is we're missing the reality of what that day is like. What was the day leading up to the moment of payment like? For the guys that got hired first, they were the first ones chosen. They had the honor of being the first ones chosen. And they had the the privilege of having a day of doing work and knowing that they were going to be able to feed their family. Meanwhile, those those other workers that didn't get hired till later, they spent the entire day standing on a corner Hoping, praying, stressing, worrying. They can figure out some way to get some money so nobody goes hungry tonight. Which person would you rather be? Those of us that have, have loved Jesus for a long time, we need to keep fresh in our minds and our hearts the privilege of walking with Jesus and not get so focused on all of the, the big, you know, those big miraculous things that God does sometimes and it feels like it's always to other people. A lot of times that is because it took a miracle to get this person to where you already were. Let's not forget that. So I want to close our time today with just a a simple invitation for, for prayer. That we could ask the Lord, give, I want to give you guys a moment just to search your heart, ask the Lord to search your heart and, and show you any, any areas, anywhere that maybe you're struggling with, with this jealousy issue. And then uh, to close, I'm just going to pray that the Lord, uh, and if you would just pray along with me or agree with me in prayer, that the Lord would begin to this week show us um, a, new, a new perspective of his generosity, that we would begin to, to see everything through the lens of a generous God. So I'll give you just a second to think about, uh, to think about the jealousy in your life. Father, we, we just, God, we give you this moment to search us. God, show us any, any place in us right now that, that we are comparing ourselves to others or we are ungrateful to you. Or we are not, um, we're being jealous and it's hindering our ability to be, to see you as the generous God that you are. God, would you just speak to us now?
And God, we just, we just confess these things to you, God. We ask that you would forgive us for our, our jealousy, for our, our covetousness, for our uh, lack of appreciation. Would you, would you take those things from us? Would you forgive us? God, would you cleanse us from that, that bitterness and all of the, the ugly residue that that leaves? Would you clean us out so that we are, we are free to see and receive your generosity, God? I pray that you would just, this week, would you reveal how generous you, you have been and you are being to us, that we would see our lives in a new way, that we would see your, your active, intense hand in our life, that we would be open to your presence um, in times and areas of our everyday life that we maybe have never sensed you before. God, would you, would you just stir up in us a hunger for your generosity, an expectation that you are involved, that you see us, that we can come to you with anything. God, that we can truly rejoice with each other and, and be free to share your blessing the way you bless me. I, I would be free to share it with those around me and vice versa. That we could be sources of encouragement for each other, not comparisons. So that our community can be one of, of sharing your blessing and your, your, your involvement in our life. That we could not feel like we have to hide things from each other. Even the good things. God, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you that you, you, you reminded us in your word of who you are. Release us with your peace. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless. We'll see you all Friday, Friday night.